This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's Shake Them Ropes, episode 300 and let's say 25. My name is Chris Novembrino and with me as always to take a look at Fastlane 2019 is Jeff Hawkins. Jeff, how you doing? Well, it's been an interesting couple of nights in the WWE, hasn't it? It sure has. Uh, these two episodes have, a, have many, many things going on. I think we need to start with the news, though, that happened here with the passing of King Kong Bundy. Yeah. Uh, King Kong Bundy, dead around the age of 60? Uh, I believe 61, which, 61, which is kind of amazing when you think about it because people, it, it, it's very odd. I think people have a view that King Kong Bundy was much older than he really was when he was wrestling. He was, on that first major run after WrestleMania three. he was 31. By the time he got out and was doing movies and TV like Married with Children. He was also in a Richard Pryor movie I remember called Moving because I, I actually took an improv class from the guy who wrote Moving. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he, he got in early and it's weird because for me, I really loved him in world class on that short run before he got to WWE. That guy, He's one of those big guys who could talk if you gave him the chance. And he also looked far more menacing once he shaved his head because he looked kind of like he looked like a kid when he had his hair. But when he didn't, he looked much older than he was. So everybody thought he was much older when he, he looked left. like the kingpin. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he was the closest thing you could have as a wrestler to the kingpin. And he was a good promo. I think he just has a really great, really intense and expressive face. He's just menacing. Okay, I want to quote something here. Tommy Rich and uh, Brett Sawyer have said that you're just big, fat, and clumsy. How do you react to that? Tommy Rich and Brett Sawyer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you know, those, let me tell you something right now. After those two sawed-off little geeks are going to find out exactly how clumsy I am when I crush both of them like bugs. I'm an athlete. I'm a world-class athlete, and I don't appreciate those two little geeks saying that about me. Tommy Rich. Okay, Great. well, our fan question this week comes from Fred Mitlitsky of San Francisco, California. And he points out that you were first discovered in a bar in Atlantic City, and that at that time you considered yourself the toughest man in the world. Now that you've gone up against the world-class competition of professional wrestling, do you still consider yourself the toughest man in the world? I am definitely the toughest man in the world. I'm the only man in professional wrestling. Has never been body slammed. That's why I have my $15,000 challenge to anybody, anywhere, in professional wrestling or out of it that can take me off my feet and slam me. That's $15,000. And I want to see one of those little geeks like Tommy Wildflower Rich or uh, one of the Sawyer sisters. I want to see them take King Kong Bundy off his feet and slam him. Calling me big and fat and clumsy. They're going right to right They're gonna pay for it after and you're going to pay too. If you don't shut your mouth. So we're just doing an interview with you. That's all. We're Sorry. He, you know, he had better quote unquote work rate before WWF, which never really required it. He'd spent some time in world class. He was in, he was in Crockett for a very short run right before the national expansion because you can see 
uh, in 84, he's like in the background in the locker room. I think he was only in there for like a month or so, maybe even only a few weeks, maybe one set of tapings. When Dusty Rhodes is like carted out or something, you see Bundy among among the faces there. But it, it's one of those things where he came back for a short run in the mid-90s with like the Million Dollar Corporation. And then you could just tell he'd kind of, you know, he hadn't really kept in shape that well. He wasn't moving around as great as he was. He was just there kind of be to be a menace. And to basically get fed to the Undertaker, but it, you know, I, I, I remember Bundy as being a lot more, <laughs> being a lot better of a talker than most big guys of his day, like a Big John Studd or an Andre. He was a guy with a little bit more personality, but he was also a guy who was smaller than most giants. So I don't think he necessarily got his due as a big man, with of course the exception of the main event of WrestleMania two against Hogan. Pretty good for a guy who never had a title in the WWF. Right. In world class, he had the uh, American Heavyweight Championship a couple times, and then he, he held the American Tag Team Championship with Bill Irwin and Bugsy McGraw. That Bill Irwin team fascinates me. I don't know what, because I like Bill Irwin. And he, he held, in Continental, he held the tag team titles with Rick Rude. There's another team. I got I to gotta look up tape of that. Is there anything else in the news section you want to look at before we move into Fastlane? Uh, Hall of Fame. We haven't touched on it yet, but I will now. Seems right now Honky Tonk Man, Brutus Beefcake, and Tori Wilson are going in. By the way, King Kong Bundy, not yet in the WWE Hall of Fame. So Wow. Yeah. That's kind of crazy, especially if you're putting in Brutus Beefcake. Uh, well, God. Who, who's going who's gonna to induct him is my question. And I th- Brother, oh. I'm going to tell you who's going to induct him. Oh, yeah. Either that or Greg Valentine. But no, I, I you know, out of all these, for me, I, man, the WWF style was made for a guy like Wayne Ferris, a.k.a. Honky Tonk Man. A guy who was pretty good in his younger days as a tag team wrestler. He was with the Blonde Bombers. And then he goes and he just gets this character... And just doesn't have to do almost anything the rest of his, the rest of his he life. He just has to bump. He has to sell he, and do promos. He just has to get heat. That's all he has to do is get heat. And that's what he was good at. I I, I like the Honky Tonk Man shtick, but it was also at the time during my peak fandom. So it was also one of the things where I'd watch WWF and go, all right, that's, that's kitty wrestling. G- give me the men type of thing it was it was it just made it more of a cartoon than i than i was you know inclined to like tory wilson is one of those intriguing people to me because i i tend to think she was about 10 years ahead of her time and if she had come in come in later they could have really trained her to be something as opposed to just a fitness model who who happened to look good on on photo shoots I think she could have actually, with like a performance center type of setup, actually been a fairly decent wrestler. Interesting. Flesh this case out for me more because this is in my gap in watching wrestling, so I don't really have a ton of context for Tori Wilson. Uh, well, she was originally in WCW for a while. Um, help- right, right. I remember that. Uh, she was helping with, I think she was in the same entourage as. She was with Macho, Macho Man. Man. And, yeah. And. Then eventually came over to to WWF, and she, you know it, it's a little bit in my gap as well. But I know that she was, you know, she'd have one on one matches with all the usual suspects. I think Stacy Keebler was over there at, at the time as well. You know, it, it'd be a lot of the 
lingerie panty fight or pillow fight type things and you know it wasn't great wrestling and then you know lita and and that was right before when lita and trish came in so she was kind of that stopgap measure between say an ivory and a trish stratus and she could do a few Ah, she could do and all you had to do really is do about two or three athletic moves and you'd be over with the crowd because you were an attractive woman that's, sure, that's bad. Sure. I mean, I have no problem with her going to, I mean, look, I don't view the Hall of Fame as anything other than, you know, corporate fealty in any way. So, I mean. <laughs> WWE is going to honor who they want to honor on any given year. And they're also delaying inducting certain people so that they can have Hall of Fame shows that are all of a similar level of quality. I mean, she's a good spokesperson. She's made a life for herself outside of WWE, which is always one of those things that's good for them in that she can walk away at any time. She's had some high... But to your point earlier, it's a shame that King Kong Bundy yeah. didn't get to get that honor while he was still alive. Well, same with Vader. Same with a lot of guys. I agreed with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's had some... I mean, she, you know, very high-profile dated Alex Rodriguez of the Yankees when he was on that team, but, you know, she's kind of had a... Is that a WWE accomplishment or just really more of a life thing? That's more of a life thing in terms of expanding your celebrity after WWE. So, I mean... That's true. That's true. You know, she has a brand now. She has a fitness brand. She does workouts. I think she may even do, like, some some health and fitness products, but, you you know, if she wants to come back at the pop, she's still looks good, which I think is very important to them, because obviously she's been in, like, the last two Royal Rumbles. So, I mean, she's a good ambassador, and uh, she's fairly young, and she'll give an energetic speech, and she'll drive eyeballs for people who are nostalgic for that period. So I'm fine with it. Any other bits of news, or should we get into Fastlane? Uh, Let's get into Fastlane and Raw, shall we? All right, so we're beginning on the kickoff show, not the pre-show, Jeff, (laughs) with... Andrade Cien Almas versus Rey Mysterio. How do you see this one going? Man, I know that they should give Andrade the win here because it's the it's the kickoff show. He's the guy you need to build. But man, I can't help but think they're just going to start this with Rey Mysterio getting a win to help please the crowd. I, I'm more... Yeah, than, yeah, no, I think it's Rey Mysterio. I think Rey Mysterio is winning this one. The lost... The lost storyline due to the actions of SmackDown where Samoa Joe won the U.S. title tonight is why was Rey Mysterio so eager to answer this open challenge? That, yes. That's, that's one of those things where if they had kept the storyline going and I were our truth, I'd be going, how come you're always out here to try and get a piece of my title? But they're going to drop it in favor of this feud. Um, it's going to be a pre-show, so it's going to be a half-full crowd think everybody's going to kind of go through the motions, what we've seen on the past two SmackDown matches. I think it's Alina Vega will probably get a Hurricanrana in there. But, I, I you know, I, I just think Rey Mysterio is going to win for some reason. Yeah, I, I think the through line that they're going to find for why Rey Mysterio wanted to answer the call to the U.S. Open Challenge along with Andrade is that both of them thought that they would have won the title last week had the other one not gotten in each other's way. So 
it's Andrade's fault that Rey Mysterio didn't win the title and vice versa. And that's the through line here. I don't even know that they're going to go that far. That is one form of an out, though, that they have available to them. But we've seen these guys have matches already on SmackDown. I'm just wondering, are they going to up it for this one? Or are they just kind of replay, you know, all the hits? You know, the uh, Canadian Destroyer and, you know, a couple of reverse Ranas and a 619 and, you know, go home. I think they play it really, really safe on the kickoff show. It's been a while since they've been ambitious on the kickoff show. So whenever you see that one uh, with the P next to it on Wikipedia for the pre-show or or the kickoff show, as it were, you just kind of know that this is not going to be ambitious in terms of storytelling. Up next, we have the Usos versus The Miz and Shane McMahon for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship what do we think about this match? First of all, the Usos cut a great promo tonight. I thought on SmackDown. I completely agree. But between them and Samoa Joe, the South Pacific Islanders, all of them are cutting the best promos in this company. Um, Can we put them together as a faction? Because I'm kind of into that. <laughs> put all the belts together. You know, you got the tag champions and the U.S. champions kind of mobbing it up it's in it's it. in cleveland the story is going to be about miz and shane who are going to lose this match and it just and the miz's dad something's going to happen with the miz's dad so who turns on who is the question after the match i think because it's in his hometown i think the miz ends up turning to get the booze and the heel heat to set up miz versus shane for wrestlemania I want to not have to do Miz versus Shane as a singles match. I don't really have a whole lot of place for singles match Shane anymore at WrestleMania. But I I think that they're breaking up here. Yeah. Somehow the dad's going to get involved. That That's going to be a relevant factor here. Third on the card here, at least according to Wikipedia, is Daniel Bryan versus Kevin Owens for the WWE planetary championship i would not i would not put too much uh stake in the listing of the order of the matches given that the triple threat of the tag team matches listed last so okay yeah it's true that's true <laughs> that can't possibly be right all right well whatever we're doing daniel bryan versus kevin owens right now so kevin owens has a new friend uh it's not Sami Zayn. it's mustafa ali mm-hmm what did you think about that? Uh, that, <laughs> that will be hell of a heat once he turns on Mustafa Ali. That's what I'm thinking, because it's going to be the Sami Zayn playbook. I think it's interesting. It, it's weird, this Kevin Owens character, because I think they've now established this week, and tonight especially, that he is he is a, a uh, avatar for wwe fans for better or for worse i i don't know why they decided to go this way but because of his everyman persona they're going to try and humanize him as much as possible and make him symbolic of things in the wwe universe perhaps eventually vince decides things in the wwe universe he doesn't like um but I don't think Mustafa Ali gets involved in this match. I think this is one where the New Day end up coming down and ruthless aggression or something kicks in and they don't turn the New Day, but the New Day says, hey, you took away my title shot. We're going to ruin yours. Daniel Bryan retains. 
Yeah, I, I think Daniel Bryan definitely retains here, and I am kind of still confused about the Kevin Owens character. I, I think you're on the money, and this is pretty much in line with what I was talking about they might do with Kevin Owens when they first rolled out those promo packages that were now focusing on him as a good dad and humanizing him, and he's a wrestling fan now, and those are going to be the points of emphasis for this character, which would make it strange if they kind of shotgunned the heel turn. So I think babyface Kevin Owens might be around for a while. And then let's talk about that New Day promo. I thought that New Day promo was terribly tone deaf. They're on the streets of India, and Kofi Kingston's having a good time, but more importantly, in the background behind Xavier and Big E, which is just like a small thing, but optically he's supposed to be the focus of this promo. Yeah, I... It's a get-over-what-great-brand ambassadors they are, and that's not needed in this story. What's needed is, oh, we're working for a company who took away my title shot, and now we're in India, and I can't do anything about it. I'm going to still be a good... No, here's the better good way to loyal do this. You're coming down the street. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, in the, they're in the cab or whatever they're in, and they're talking about it, and Kofi's feeling down, and they're like, we still got to be good soldiers. We're about making people happy. This is, you know, you love doing this. And you know, then Kofi gets out, and he's all smiles on the back end of that promo. But to have him on the street and just being like, I'm having a great time here in India... I mean, really? I'd be mildly frustrated that I have a big championship title match, one that I've been waiting for for 11 years, on Sunday, and I'm across the globe and not getting a chance to prepare. Hey, we screwed you over, but you're still a great employee. Look at how great he is. I'm, I'm just like, yeah, it's it's absolutely tone deaf. I, th- I think your terminology was, was perfect. All right, so let's do the Revival versus Aleister Black and Ricochet versus Chad Gable and Bobby Roode. So did Chad Gable and Bobby Roode turn heel on Monday? Let me ask you that question. Uh, For the purposes of this program, yes, but this has been a week where everybody is blurring lines, as we'll get to with with the Becky and Ronda promo. I... I just, I think they are going, I think it's going to be two heel teams versus Aleister Black and Ricochet to help get them over as the white meat baby faces. Um, Yes. I, you know, this match I think is going to be great if they give it time. It's going to be kind of a train wreck. And I think eventually the. It's not on the kickoff show. I bet you this is going to be very, very good. I think the revival steal the win against like either Root or Gable so that they don't have to pin either Black or Ricochet. I don't think they're going to give them the tag team titles. And if they did, that'd be fascinating, because I'd want to hear <laughs> I'd want to hear Jim Cornette's thoughts on that, to be honest with you. But, I mean, it's like you make the Revival your tag team champions only to be a transitional team for three weeks and then give it to Aleister Black and Ricochet. I'm not sure that's building up the division like they want to. Maybe it is. But uh, I think the Revival retain until Mania... And then they lose them. I think the bold move here is to have the Revival get the pinfall in a banana peel sort of way on Ricochet rather than Chad Gable and Bobby Roode. So Ricochet is down, and they snipe snipe the pinfall from Chad Gable and Bobby Roode, and then they have this pinfall over Ricochet, which they can lord over Aleister Black and Ricochet and gloat about. How about this? Aleister Black accidentally hits Ricochet with Black Mass. 
Oh, okay. That would be another way to go. And then they, yeah, and then they I, pin Ricochet. I, I could go for yeah. that. Yeah, I, I think that that's the slick way out of this. Uh, I don't know. They might go chalk and just have the Revival pin someone like Chad Gable or Bobby Roode, though. Mm-hmm. So then you want to go with the Boston Hug Connection versus Nia Jax and Tamina? Yeah, WWE rule of booking. Whoever loses the go-home match usually wins on the pay-per-view. Which is, uh, I, I think Bailey and Sasha play baby faces in peril here. Uh, underdogs to the monster team. This one feels real predictable. Pin Tamina. I think that's right. Then we get Asuka versus Mandy Rose, and I liked this little save spot at the end of the very almost too quick Naomi squash yeah. tonight by Mandy Rose, but I enjoyed that beatdown that Asuka delivered to Mandy Rose and to Sonya Deville after the match. I thought that that was very effective. Good way to get heat on Asuka. Obviously, her cutting promos, not the strongest way to do it. Her kicking people's asses, definitely a good way to do it. Does Asuka retain? Yeah, I think Asuka retains. I think Mandy Rose gets the title. I don't. You really do. I don't Interesting. Ha- I don't have any reason to think that, other than the fact that they can't book Asuka as a monster going into Mania because they don't have an opponent for her unless it's Natty. Um, I could see Asuka retaining this and then going on to Natty, or I could see them building Mandy Rose Asuka rematch for Mania and then having Asuka win. For some reason, having having Mandy win against her and then get beat up by Asuka, I think she has to win by cheating, and they're always willing to make Asuka look stupid and lose somehow in these types of matches. If you recall the cage match with Carmella, where she hits where, where she hits their head on the cage and gets pinned, I can see something like that with Sonya Deville happening and Mandy Rose winning the title. Yeah. Maybe. I just don't know that I think they're going to put the belt on Mandy Rose here on Sunday. Yeah, it, it, it feels early. It just doesn't like it doesn't feel right. It's it's so weird because they're not going to change. It feels like they're not going to change any titles going into Mania. Yet you'd think they'd change one. And maybe it was the maybe it was the Samoa Joe one. And it, and that I was going to say they did change a title. Yeah, that's going to be for John Cena to come back eventually. I, I guess that that's what you could consider it. Chalk says Oscar wins this, but I think I still put out about twenty five percent that Mandy Rose gets this belt. Okay, and then we get the Shield versus Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, and Bobby Lashley. Now, Jeff, I think maybe I have the weird take on this one. I think there's a decent chance that Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, and Bobby Lashley win this match. I will let you expound on that in a moment. I want to get to, on Raw, this match between Corbin, McIntyre, and Lashley versus Strowman, uh, Finn, and Kurt Angle. What are they doing with Kurt Angle? Good lord. He is just, he's an old guy out there to get beat up now. He's not a legend. They had this great match with Kurt Angle and Drew McIntyre several months ago, and I guess that's technically the premise for him being in this match, and that could have set up a really interesting redemption story, one last ride story, but now you have Kurt Angle feeling completely 100% unspecial. Yeah, that's what's killing me right now. I'm like, when he came back, it was like, oh, this is, and he teamed with the Shield. He filled in for uh, the injured, was it Ambrose? Yeah, it was Ambrose. 
And you're like, okay, this is a special event. This is kind of cool. And they didn't look great. And they came back for that other one last match. And you're like, okay. And then he was in the Rumble. And now he's a guy in six-man tags getting beat. Now, you remember, and this is a great plug for our Patreon episode, which just dropped today, www.patreon.com slash shakethemropes. We watched the Great American Bash 85, and we talked about Ron Bass and, and the jobs he was doing on the way out. This is what it feels like they're doing with Kurt Angle in some ways. I think that Corbin, McIntyre, and Lashley have a chance of winning this. Again, I, I put this at low, like 15 20%. Just because the shield is not going to be together, right? Like this whole thing is one last time. Dean's on his way out. There's no reason to give the shield a win other than to feel good for the audience. And Corbin, McIntyre, and Lashley, but particularly McIntyre, could actually be beneficiaries from a big win over the shield. So that's my theory as to why I think there's a chance, a small chance, that the heels end up picking up the win here over the Shield. Let me let me go with another thing. I think the Shield win this match, but I think Dean Ambrose turns on either Reigns or Rollins after the match. I, I think that's the way they're going to go here, and I think the smart money is to say that he does it to Roman, number one, because Roman's on this big babyface push, and Dean's on... Dean can be the heel that loses at WrestleMania to him because Roman doesn't have anything to do there. And Rollins is already predisposed to go to go with uh, Lesnar. So I, I think Dean could also cost them the match. Yeah. That, so they end up losing this match and they lose this match because Dean screws over Roman. But that doesn't help Drew. That's the thing. No, I mean, heels can just take a win, though, and doesn't matter. There's an asterisk attached to it. I think for the way that they do their stories, I thought that the Reformation of the Shield was pretty good. I I just, it, they never have that real talk amongst, like, Roman and Dean. It, it, it's more like the bro talk, like, bro, you can talk to me anytime, as opposed to, hey, look, I know you've always been moody and stuff, but let's work past this. There, there's never that depth to a to a reunion story other than bro we used to be boys well just like last week i think that not having roman and dean talk is a blocking choice and i think perhaps that is one more potential indicator to a roman and dean motion occurring at some point during their match here at Fastlane. But but I did like I did like that Dean blew them off because hey, I got to get ready for a match. I thought that was like, okay, there you go. That's realistic. I'm not going to talk about this crap right now. Yeah, Dean anguishing at the top of the stairwell didn't necessarily work great for me. Like because then when he comes down to even up the odds, the math doesn't actually make sense because he'd have been three on two for a while. So Dean did come into the ring and do an able job firing up as much as one person could possibly fire up on three bigger dudes. But uh, yeah, that was a little that was a little bit of a stretch. They they kind of rushed this a little bit. It didn't feel special. The crowd wants to see them back together, sure, but you could have made them want it more. You could have brought this up to a kind of a greater climax. Well, you, you, well, you can't because it's the go-home show. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I know. Well, I mean, you could if you rolled this back. Presumably they knew that they were going to have some availability with Roman for a minute here. Yeah, so, I mean, I, c- I could see the heels winning this, but, um, you know, Corbin's kind of the designated sacrificial lamb in this entire match in terms of he's... No, I, I know. he He's a heat sink. He's a heat sink. One other thing from the tag match here on Monday is we have further advancement of Leo Rush being a bit of the dump truck, being a bit of the victim, Lashley celebrating the ring, not worried about Leo Rush after the match, even though Leo Rush has been obliterated on the outside. So I think we are slowly building to Leo as a sympathetic figure, if not a full-on babyface. Yeah, it's just, do you want him as a babyface when you watch those Braun Strowman Saturday Night Live guys vignettes? God, those were hilarious. Oh, my God. The antics were so zany. Uh, I I mean, the kids, you know what they love, Jeff? They love references to John Stossel getting his ass kicked by Dr. D. Schultz. And, and you know what else they love? They love meta commentary on wrestling. Uh, uh, yay, isn't this stuff all fake? Right, which which sits in really strong dissonance to the Ronda Rousey promo later on in the evening, oh, right? Oh, dude, this thing... Not not only this one, but the Hunter promo, and then the Stephanie promo after the Ronda stuff. It's like all of it was just like, let, let's just tear down the fourth wall and make commentary about wrestling while we're doing wrestling, as opposed to being in character and, and a real show. It was so disconnecting yeah okay so the next one next matches and final match main event becky lynch and charlotte flair so we get becky coming down to sign a hold harmless uh, waiver with charlotte Rhonda shows up becky goes stands next to charlotte behind stephanie smiling as Rhonda comes down that's bad staging all the way around Anyways, when you have a blood feud between Charlotte and Becky, Rhonda comes in. They basically decided to deus ex machina the title abdication, which was the word of the week, obviously. But, you know, oh, I was just letting you hold it for a week. And then I want my title back now. I'm unabdicating it. Yeah. And then Rhonda cutting. You remember last week? We had some audio problems, but last week, basically, my statement on Ronda was she's rushing it because she's nervous and she's not a very confident performer. She did it again, and again, she sounded like a petulant teenager rather than a self-assured ass kicker. I mean, she rushed through that boo the woo, damn the man, and and I forget the uh, something uh, bitch or something, just hit somebody. And and every yeah, and, and that was right after a quick speech that was like a classic heel turn speech too. Yeah, so who's right where she says, "I don't need you as the fans. I don't like you. I'm not fans of any of you. I'm not here to entertain you. I came out. I've been the best." It, it was a bunch of kind of connected thoughts that were associated, but sort of loosely associated at times. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the clarification came after the after the show went off the air, and for WWE.com when she came back, and she was she was kind of <laughs> I think she was potatoing Becky a bit and saying, "You want to put that funny stuff on Twitter?" It, it's it's one of those Russo type storylines where hey, we're we're working it on social media and we're shooting on TV, and I was just like, it doesn't work 
because you also have the visual of Becky standing there smiling next to Stephanie McMahon when she should be dis- she should be sitting on a turnbuckle in the corner as opposed to standing there, you know, unified with Charlotte and Stephanie. I, I, I just it came off and then she just gets her butt kicked. For the and the whole of harmless angle is really strange, right? I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop there. What is Stephanie's angle with the hold harmless angle? Well, that goes into that goes into uh, her promo afterwards, which is, you know, we're doing what's best for business. She's the evil corporate person. You can't sue us. I'm just doing what's best. I'm the business lady who's who's making all of this happen. It's it's such a. Stephanie does not need to be involved in this angle. That's the thing. No, no, she doesn't. She confuses this angle, and it makes me think that she has more to play in this angle after the fact. Like, after Fastlane, we're not done with Stephanie's involvement. Exactly. It feels like she's she's about ready to make a corporate choice in it. So we're going to get we're going to get we're going to get Becky who's kind of screwed over. We're we're going to get either Charlotte or Rhonda as as the corporate choice, and I, I think it's going to be Charlotte, and we're going to get Ronda as the ass kicker, you know, uh, <laughs> wild card, stone cold type or whatever, when they're trying to get this over as, as, as Becky. And then, and then basically Ronda breaks both of Ronda or both of Becky's arms. Ronda breaks both of Becky's arms while Charlotte kind of sits there and watch. And then tonight on SmackDown, Becky just beats up Charlotte like there's no no damage having been done the night before. I I'm flummoxed by this build. Yeah, I I mean we knew it was going to be bumpy to get to the three-way, but man, uh it, it is really really bumpy to get to the three-way when we could have just had a very straightforward Ronda versus Becky match at Mania. Yeah, it's fairly obvious Becky's going to win this. Uh, I'm assuming there will be some veil of controversy so that Charlotte can dispute Becky having to be added to the match. I don't know how they get there. I don't really want to know how they get there. Any chance that Becky does not win this match? Yes. (laughs) And that's even worse because... Then it's going to be all about Becky trying to find a way to get inserted into the match the entire time while they build up Charlotte and 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 Ronda. I'm I, I yeah I, I'm thinking that that might actually be the pathway that it's all about Becky's road to WrestleMania and having to overcome Stephanie and that sort of thing. Having so to overcome. I'm not the necessarily convinced. Yeah. yeah, I'm not necessarily convinced that this is a stone cold lock for. Becky, although I am certain that she will be in the match at Mania. Charlotte wins by cheating, thus cheating Becky out of her match, thus getting the heat, and thus Becky somehow having to petition away to get back in the match and probably done through Ronda Rousey again. But see, they see that's my only thing is if they screw Becky here, it's just the Ronda story over again where she wanted Becky this entire time. We've gotten very convoluted in this Charlotte, Becky, Rhonda angle here. Let's talk about heavy machinery real quick as a quick <laughs> little palate cleanser before we get into like Triple H and some of this other stuff. Heavy machinery faced the B team, the Ascension, and Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder in a gauntlet match. This is 
actually not that far removed from what you and I were talking about last week where we have heavy machinery facing multiple people in a match, but I thought this was about as ineffective a way of doing that as you could. What would be much more impressive is heavy machinery beating up, you know, four guys on the other side of the ring. Whereas this gauntlet match, I I, I don't know. These these teams got in just enough offense for it not to seem like heavy machinery was dominating the match, even though they made short order of all of these teams. Number one, that vignette was horrible. In the locker oh, room. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that, the locker room thing was absolutely terrible. Number two, I'm not getting paid any residuals for them stealing my. He's a Chris Farley character. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I saw that. I went, someone might be listening. Um, yeah, I. Here, here, here's the other thing. And this is the thing that not a lot of people are talking about. Um, other than, you know, the my feelings are hurt line, I thought was. Just absolutely dreadful. But not only are these teams getting treated like geeks in the ring, the commentary team is mocking every single team in this match other than heavy machinery. I I couldn't believe it. They were making fun of Ryder and Hawkins, who are supposedly on a redemption arc, but are somehow thrown into this match. The, 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 uh, and everything about the booking of this match was weird too. I mean, I, I, the B team were disposable. They should have been first, but the Ascension should have been the last guys in this match, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anything, you want to make Connor seem like at least some degree of a threat. That's the idea. That said, Victor is the best guy out of all six of these guys. I don't care. I like Victor a lot. I thought his, his cornball, villainous, you know, monologuing, again, very underrated actor as a wrestler. Even if you don't like his in-ring work, I think he's fantastic on promos. I wish they could find something else to do with him. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, this is just weird. But listening to, like, Corey and and Renee just bury, you know, oh, they collect action figures or they have an action figure podcast and they're doing comedy it was a very kind of meta-type commentary at the same time. And I'll tell you where else it gets confusing. This uh, Lacey Evans repackaging, so to speak, as the sassy Southern Belle. And she comes out on Raw, and for the second week in a row, they're pushing her as, oh, she's classing up the joint. I thought she was a heel this entire time, Chris. I thought she was a heel this entire time. And what's funny is this babyface repackaging of her actually kind of makes her have more heel heat with me in a weird way. Yeah. Something about me being told that she's sassy is like Southern nails on bells, a chalkboard. Southern bells, prissy Southern bells don't make for great baby faces because they're supposed to be. Well, snotty Southern and bells demeaning. are sort of by definition not yeah, down to earth. They're snotty and demeaning by definition. What? Uh, uh, and our truth with the right. Our truth with the comeback, Miss Sexy Gloves. <laughs> I, yeah, and then to have her come out and interrupt our truth—that would be a heel move to do. Yeah, our truth is this very over popular babyface act, and you come out, and I mean. I guess the argument they'd make is, well, it fits into the zany universe that R-Truth sort of occupies. And that's kind of true, but still, 
the messaging is just muddy or unclear enough on Lacey Evans that you want to have clarity with these new strokes if you're trying to get her over as a baby face. Dude, I figured out who she was. I figured out who she is now. They're in the old Warner Brothers cartoons. There would be these cartoons where you'd have the characters fighting and they'd be going along with their cartoon. And every so often, this weird, like like a cat. The very attractive cat comes in and distracts Pepe Le Pew. Well, no, 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 no. That that's too on the nose. That that's uh, no. It, this is just there's a cartoon and there's just this cat that'll walk across the thing with like music or something, and they'll look at it for a second and they'll go back to what they're doing, and then at the end will be the reveal of what what is this cat doing out here? That's who Lacey Evans is right now. She, she's that weird third character who has no business in this cartoon, but at the end will reveal that, oh, she's behind this entire thing all along. Actually, you know what? That could get, go into the Asuka-Mandy Rose uh, oh, match. Oh, ooh, 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 ooh. Interesting, interesting. We'll put a, put a feather in that or something. Put a pin in that? Something. Yeah. Whatever that phrase is. Let's go with that one. Now let's wrap up the show by talking a little bit about this Triple H promo. So for reasons that are not entirely clear to me, Triple H decided that he needed to talk about Richard Flair um, rather than Ric Flair, that we we needed to do some sort of fourth wall teardown to get this angle over. I loathed this promo, Chris. Because it had... Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't like this. And it's not because I actively hated it. It's because it had so many great qualities, and it did too much. And by doing too much, it made it a bad promo. This is the big Triple H building, getting himself over and building up the big emotional thing. And uh, we didn't need to go to Reed Flair, dude. No, you didn't know to. You didn't have to go to Reed Flair. You didn't have to go to Bad Guy One Hundred and One by demeaning him. You just had to say what happened. In history, because they had already played the video package. Just go over the the evolution, upstaging, and ruining a good moment. Go over beating up Ric Flair and ruining his moment, and now you're angry about it. You don't have to do this invoking the dead kid again. You don't have to go into his real name. You don't have to go into, I'm not playing the character Triple H here. Which drove me nuts. All the rest of this show is fake, but this is real. Yes. And, and Rhonda had notes of that, too. Yes. Both of them did. And it's just like, dude, the thing that made wrestling cool, the wrestling that you liked Triple H, because I know Triple H loves the Jim Crockett promotion stuff. I know he loves Harley Race. I know he loves Ric Flair. Did Harley Race ever say, I'm playing a character right now? No, he was just Harley Race the entire time. Just- no, but in Tripp's heyday, it, when Vince Russo ruled the earth there for you know six months or whatever it was, this is exactly the type of thing that you would expect yes, out of wrestling. But, but, but all he has to do is be angry at Dave Batista. The whining stuff was perfect. It was pitch perfect. Every time you leave here, you're whining. And just go into his Hollywood career and go, do you do that on set too when you don't get your way? Just be direct. And and he had every note of a great promo in here. Every note. And I was liking it. And then there'd be the that moment where he'd say something. I'd go, oh, God. Ironically, when he broke kayfabe, that's when he lost me on the promo. 
Yeah. It, it was yeah, it was when we started calling him Richard Flair and everything that I was like, I mean, come on, man. Let's stay within the lines here. It's rare that I get this angry at a promo. And and it's it it really because I wanted to love it because the build is there and it's it's The surprise return was awesome. And you know what the, my favorite touch of the whole Dave part was was he's wearing a blue nose ring <laughs> last week. I'm like there it is, blue Tista is back. That's so awesome, but dude, you don't have I mean when it's one of those weird things that bad television writers do where they think it has to be overly dramatic when it just has to be dramatic and you let the actors put in the emotion for it. This was just two steps too far over the this line. This got for ramped me. up to 10 very, very quickly, and I don't know how you re raise beyond this. Oh, you, you have them fight in the crowd and have the pull apart. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that that's where we go next. I, I'm just saying in terms of words-wise, I don't know where you re-raised. And I thought Dave was fine. I thought Dave's promo about, you know what, I don't want to come to Philly because I don't like people in Philly. I was like, okay, that's cool. I'll take that. That's cheap heat, but it's a good kind of cheap heat. I mean, he was understated. He didn't raise his voice. Once Dave raises his voice, then then it might escalate a bit more. But, see, the Triple H thing, just it, it bothered me. To the point of, look, we can either have a realistic wrestling program or we, or we can have, hey, we're all here to entertain and please the fans. You can't have it both ways because then it, everything gets muddled. Well, if you want to listen to our Patreon episodes, patreon.com slash shake them roast. Well, again, we just dropped Ringmasters Great American Bash 85 today. In order to do that, you can follow me at crap game 13. You can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino. You can just follow the show. At Shake Them Ropes. Chris, let them know where else they can find you. My other show, Cranking Out News and Politics episodes all the time, is Don't Worry About the Government. You can find it over at Don'tWorry.tv. And my other other show, which just dropped a new episode today, is the All in the Family podcast. Go and check it out at allinthefamilypodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. We'll see you on Thursday night, Friday morning for 205 Live, NXT UK, and NXT.